Hello and welcome to At Home with Ashley G. I'm Ashley Gronwald, a real estate agent, mother of three, living in Raleigh, North Carolina with my husband, Jed. I hope you will join me as we discuss all things that begin in the home, such as family, marriage, faith, parenting, organizing, and plus a sprinkle of real estate. I look forward to building a community with you as we navigate the joys of owning a home and making it our safe haven for our family. Because home is where it all begins. Hi everyone, it's Ashley Gronwald with Hunter Row Real Estate, and I have Michelle Disney with me today, who's a certified financial planner, and I've asked her to join us today just to talk to us a little bit about what financial planning looks like and how to set ourselves up in the financial realm for success. And so thanks for joining me, Michelle. Will you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yes, thank you for having me. Uh, I've been a certified financial planner and in the wealth management industry for about 15 years now. Uh, I really just love helping people. That's really uh, what our job is about, helping people build a financial plan and achieve goals in life. And so uh, I just really enjoy doing that. And I'm excited to share some information uh, with the audience today. Awesome. Well, and this isn't a question I prepped you for, but I'm just curious how you got into this field. I would assume that it might be dominantly a male field and maybe not, but you into it? <laughs> you're right. Uh, it is. It's a male dominated field that's slowly changing, but I got into this right after college. It was my first job and I've been with uh, this team ever since college and, and have seen changes along the way. There are uh, more women becoming certified financial planners. Um, but it's a great field because you get to mix uh, if you love math and analysis with helping people. Uh, so it's just, it's a great industry. That's awesome. And I was just thinking that, you know, for any of my listeners that may be single women or single moms that might feel intimidated by meeting with a financial planner, but knowing they need to, I just love to have a resource just from a female perspective to, to look at the finances, because this could be very overwhelming. And that was one of the main reasons I loved meeting you when we got to meet. It's like to have somebody to connect other women to, but that doesn't mean you can't help men. I'm sure you help lots of men as well, but just for women to feel comfortable coming to you to ask specific questions. I think that's a very good point. We help a lot of women clients and sometimes we do find that they uh, may not be as involved in the finances, but we really try with anybody, male or female, if they don't have a lot of experience, we try to make it uh, and not intimidating. We try to explain things in plain English and walk people through their plan. And so uh, just to encourage your audience that even if they don't have any experience, they can definitely learn along the way. And a good financial planner will also be a good educator. So work with someone who is really trying to help you uh, understand and learn. That's awesome. Well, let's jump into these questions. And if anyone is watching this as we're doing it live, um, or listening, please send in any questions and I'll share those with Michelle. But if you listen to this after we've done this live, please send those questions still um, because we can get back to you and answer those as well. So to start off, what is the most important thing to do today to protect your family? Sure. So that that's a very good question. Unfortunately, we just had a firsthand example of the importance of planning to protect your family and especially uh, children. We recently had a client who passed away in a motorcycle accident who left behind a wife and three young daughters. And so we just had a, a front row seat to the importance of planning. And the two most important things that I would want to share with your audience are number one, to have uh, adequate life insurance coverage. And number two, to have all of your estate documents in order. It's something that gets put on the back burner a lot of times because people are busy. 
It's not something that's top of mind, but it is something that's very, very important. And in terms of that first item of life insurance coverage, uh, just to give some general guidelines, uh, we would recommend that if a parent is working, that they get between eight to 10 times their income in term life insurance. And then if there's a spouse that's staying home with the kids, for example, it's still important for uh, that spouse to also obtain some term life insurance because there are things that would need to be covered if that person was no longer there, things like child care and caring for the home. And so we would still recommend that that second spouse get coverage as well. Between 250 to 400 is a, is a general rule of thumb. And so just making sure um, that as a parent you're planning and you have adequate life insurance is important. And that second component of having uh, state planning documents is in order is also very critical because you would be surprised about how many people pass away and they never planned, they never had a will. And obviously that is not good when you're leaving behind young children, you want to have everything in writing. And so going to meet with an estate attorney is very important. You wanna have the will so that if both parents unfortunately pass away, you have a named guardian who could care for your children. And you also wanna make sure that uh, your financial assets are uh, described so that they can pass to the children in an efficient manner. And those assets are set up to care for your children during their lifetime. And you can't do that if you don't have a will in place. And so we really encourage people to meet with an estate attorney to get those documents in order. Uh, because even though it's it's something that people put off, it's very, very critical. You just don't know when you're going to need it. That's good. And I'm sure you have some great referrals to estate attorneys as well as I do. So if someone needs a referral to one, we're happy to, to connect you there. So what are some simple things families can do to get started with financial planning? Sure. So I think uh, one of the first things that I want to mention here is the word budget. And I know people don't always love that word. Uh, because it can come with some stress, but it's important to know where your money is going. And so we would recommend uh, that families sit down and look at their credit card statement or their bank statement and just find out where your money's going every month. How mm -hmm. much of your paycheck is going to essential bills? How much is going to splurges like eating out or other discretionary spending? Because once you know where your money is going, uh, then you can plan and you can start to make changes. So first I would just take a look uh, at your budget, understand where the money's going. Mm -hmm. And then the second step that we would recommend is just making sure you have cash on hand for emergencies. Um, you would be surprised there are a lot of Americans who don't have enough cash on hand for having uh, an unexpected emergency with their car, having their heating or air conditioning break at their home, just things that come up uh, that can be more of a larger bill. And so we suggest trying to start with just having $1,000 set aside at the bank. Um, that is a good first goal. And then eventually it's important to try to work up to have three to six months worth of your living expenses set aside at the bank. And the, really the importance of this is when you have an unexpected bill come up, you don't wanna put that on a credit card and have to pay 20% interest. You wanna have that reserve fund. You draw it out of your bank account. It's what you planned for. It's just a much better way uh, to manage those types of events. So we would say, go ahead and get an emergency fund set up and start building that up. And then the next item that we would want people to tackle is just, again, going back to see where your money is going. If there's any high interest rate debt that you might be carrying, because it's very common. A lot of people have an outstanding balance on a credit card or maybe an unsecured personal loan from the bank. When you have high interest rate debt, it's really just 
draining your finances and draining what you can do with your money when you're paying 20% interest. And so we would recommend that after you've got that emergency fund going, then look and see if you've got that type of high interest rate debt and start to really any extra money you have left over at the end of the month, try to make sure you're uh, paying that balance down, trying to eliminate that high interest rate debt. That's very important. And as you've been talking about this, I've been thinking about like the Dave Ramsey financial planning books he has and courses. Would you recommend something like that, a class financial piece or any of those resources for families if, as they're starting to put a budget together or put a financial planner? planning together. We do. Uh, we reference Dave Ramsey a lot. He has a lot of good information, a lot of good books. Uh, sometimes he can be a little hard line, uh, right. a little extreme in his recommendations. So we don't agree a hundred percent with what he says, but I would say about 95%. He is a great resource um, and a great tool. If you're just getting started, um, I think it's good to listen to his show or read his books. Awesome. And how can families manage debt wisely? Cause that's something that probably a lot of people listening have some form of debt. So what is a wise way of handling that? Sure. So I know, I think your audience is people who are maybe towards the beginning to middle of their career. And so for those families, we're not saying to eliminate all debt because it's very normal to have a mortgage balance. What mm -hmm. we want to focus on is trying to eliminate um, other debt. Like we talked about credit card, student loans, mm -hmm. uh, things like that, a car loan. And so the first approach that I was just talking about uh, there are two approaches really that you can take. Uh, the first one is where you tackle the high interest rate debt first. And that approach makes mathematical sense. Of course, you want to get rid of that 20% interest first and work your way down to the lower interest rate debt. Um, but sometimes that's hard for people to do because it looks like it's slow progress. And so there's another approach that Dave Ramsey talks about, which is he calls it a snowball uh, debt plan where you start instead with the debt that has the lowest balance. So you pay off that first and that feels like a win. Uh, people feel like they've made progress. They can see that achievement. Then they go to the next largest balance and so on. And so that's another approach. And we think both are very valid. Uh, we would just tell people whichever one resonates with you and you think that you can stick with, choose that one and, and stick with that plan, but just have a plan uh, to come out of debt. And Another thing uh, while we're talking about debt, I do want to mention, I'm sure your audience is aware interest rates are very low right now. And so it's a great time to talk to your banker about possibly refinancing your mortgage. Uh, if you have something in the four, four and a half percent range, I mean, we've had clients who have gotten down to 3% or even in the high twos. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's a great time to go and just check and see if that's a possibility for you, because that can be savings in your pocket every month. I'm so glad you said that, because it's like, it's very common in my world to know that interest rates are low, but not everybody knows that. And so for them to know for refinancing or buying purposes, I mean, we keep saying it's like free money. I mean, mm -hmm. I just had a client in the twos getting an interest rate and it's so low. So it's just such a great time to consider that. The other thought I had when you were talking is just that I'm sure you come across this, that husband and wife might be different in their perspectives on spending and saving mm -hmm. and debt. And at our church, our pastor talks a lot about um, having savers and spenders and they often marry each other, which is definitely mm -hmm. what happened in my marriage. And so I was just curious, do you see that happening when you're helping families financial plan that, that the husband and wife aren't necessarily coming from the same perspective? 
We do. Uh, we do see that. Uh, not all the time, uh, but that can that can be an issue that comes up. Luckily, I think we try to explain the reasoning behind the financial planning concepts that we're sharing with people. This is why you need to make sure that you are saving. This is how much you need to be saving because here's the end result uh, in your financial plan. So I think it sometimes it just takes more education. And then once people understand the implications, if we do have someone who's a big spender, we can show them mathematically what the consequences of that are and what it can mean if they're not utilizing those dollars well. Um, so I think generally we're able to get people to a good middle spot. It just takes conversation, whether that's with a financial planner or just the, the husband and wife sitting down, I think. Uh, talking it out is always a good thing. I think that would be great. Why don't we set up a time for you to set out that those consequences of those big spending? I think my husband would really have his eyes open. No, he's a really good spender. He just likes to spend money. I want to save it all for a rainy day. And he's like, that rainy day, what if it never comes and we don't get to use it? So he's more experience driven, but he's a good saver too. Uh, well, moving on, how should families think about saving for retirement versus saving for education? I'm assuming look at those differently and what are your thoughts on that? Sure, we do. Um, and so earlier I mentioned when you're thinking about those baby steps of financial planning, we're talking about building up your emergency fund first, getting rid of high interest rate debt. And you'll notice that investing wasn't in there yet. And, because, and that's because if you're not able to uh, have cash on hand to cover unexpected expenses or you have 20% interest that's mm -hmm. uh, out there on a credit card, it doesn't make sense to go invest yet because you have some other places where your financial plan has a few holes in it, you want to kind of shore up uh, the foundation. And so once you have gotten those uh, emergency fund in place, once you've gotten your debt under control, then is the time to start thinking about investing. And we would say that it's important to always save for retirement first before saving for education. Mm -hmm. And that's because there are always scholarships and student loans for college but there aren't any scholarships or student loans for retirement. And I'm sure most of your audience would agree that they don't want to be a burden on their children later on in life. And so when parents are saving wisely for their own retirement, it's still very much a benefit to the kids. So even though you're, you're thinking, well, I really want to set them up for success uh, for college, really the most important thing that you can do for your family is make sure your own retirement is secure first. And so we would recommend that after you've kind of accomplished those first few baby steps, that you focus uh, your first investment dollars into your company's 401k plan. Uh, often a company will have a match and that's just free money and you don't want to miss out on that. So uh, to the extent that you're able to put some aside, we would say put that in your company 401k plan first. And a good initial goal when people are thinking, how much should I save for retirement? Uh, we would say a good initial goal is 10% of their gross income. Uh, so that's a, a first goal that we would recommend you strive for. After you've got gotten on track for 10%, we would say your next goal you're working towards is 15%. And then later on in your uh, career, we would say that ultimate goal is to have 20% going into your retirement savings. So kind of that's a way to, to ease into it. Maybe as you get a raise or you're, you've uh, got some more room in your budget, you can kind of increase uh, that savings rate gradually over time. Uh, so I think it's important to get retirement savings on track first. And once you do, then that's when you can start thinking about saving for education. That's great. And I know you mentioned a little bit about investing and I've seen even some of my younger 
families start investing early, which I just think is awesome. Um, and a lot of them investing in real estate that because that's you know what I'm experiencing with them, but just looking for properties that they can either um, spruce up a little bit and then rent or sell. I think that's like you said, you, you need to have your foundation in place before you jump into the investing. So mm-hmm. um, making sure that if you're thinking about investing, which I think a lot of people think about it, I'm going to think of, you know, consider real estate investment, but talking to their financial planner first, making sure there aren't any holes in their plan before they jump into that. I think that's important. And I think um, when people are thinking about their finances, they need to think about it holistically. So we have clients as well who ask us about investing in real estate and having rental properties. But we always like to look at the big picture and make sure that their investment isn't solely in real estate, that they also have stocks and bonds and mutual funds so that they're diversified. It's kind of like the phrase, you don't want to have all of your eggs in one basket. So making sure that they have a financial planner or someone looking over their shoulder to say, yes, uh, you've got a broad holding of investments. And so I think that's important because some people would just focus on one area, maybe one stock or one property, but it's important to have a diversified plan. Definitely. So thinking about the family, how can we teach our kids about financial planning or just the value of it at a young age or even as they get a little bit older? Because this is something I want to implement early. So it's something that is just normal to my kids, even at a young age. So do you have any thoughts about that? I think that's a great question because I think if you instill it early, it becomes a habit that they carry with them for the rest of their lives. Mm -hmm. And so I think the two most important things that you can teach your kids is how to save money and how to live within their means or on a budget. And so, and and my parents did this with me as well. Uh, They taught me how to save. So I would have odd jobs and I would get an allowance and I would set aside money. And so I think if you have young kids, you could have a piggy bank and have that set up so they can set aside their dollars and cents. Or if it's an older kid, you can set up a custodial account at a bank and have somewhere for them to save. But just teaching them as they're earning money to set some aside. And uh, I think it's important if they have a big purchase, like a special toy or a costume or just whatever might be important to them, if you have them pay for part of it. Um, That's Mm -hmm. something my mom did with me. I had to pay for half of my first bike. And so I saved for that over time. And then we went to the bike store and bought it. And it really teaches kids a good lesson that uh, you have to save. You have to delay gratification, which I know is not very common in our culture today. But I think it's an important lesson that you can't have everything you want immediately. It does take hard work uh, and savings. And so I think that's an important lesson. And just helping kids plan when you're saying, "Okay, Johnny, you're going to mow the yard. Uh, every weekend. This is how much you're going to earn in a month. Uh, But you said that you wanted to buy this special bike to go back to that example. Well, you know, you're not going to be able to buy that in a month or two months. This is how much it's going to take. And so just helping them think through those very simple lessons. Mm -hmm. But I think if you instill that early, it'll become a habit for the rest of their lives. I love that. And I think it's easy for a parent to just say, I'll just buy it for them because it's easier. And I know how excited they're going to be to get it, but how much more rewarding and even the memory that you still have about your first bike that you helped purchase, like the long-term benefit of the delayed gratification and teaching our kids that money is something that you earn and you have to work for, you know, when we go to the store, Ellie's often asking mom, buy this for me, buy this, buy this. And I said, mm-hmm. well, wait a minute, did you bring your money? 
no, I don't have any money. Well, we need to start working on that then. She's four. But, you know, that idea of her having some responsibility um, and, you know, knowing what to do with the money. What is she going to spend it on? Is it something cheap now because that's all she can afford or saving up to buy something a little bit more substantial? So mm -hmm. we often save these financial conversations for private time between husband and wife. But I think maybe letting our kids into them on a very elementary level to let them see how a family unit works which includes a budget and, you know, thinking through long-term spending. I, I think that's exactly right. And I think if, if your kids can witness uh, the parents talking about money in a calm fashion, because money can cause a lot of stress in relationships. We see that in our world. Mm -hmm. So I think if they can witness a healthy conversation around money, that just sets them up for success later on. I think that's good too. Cause I, I mean, I hear stats all the time about, you know, probably money and in-laws being two of the biggest issues in marriages. And so, like you said, if they can see us talking about it, planning and handling it in a calm manner, mm -hmm. uh, it doesn't have to be a stressful Thing. I think kids could be actually interested. Um, and like you said, they might have an interest in analytics and then math and showing mm -hmm. how those play into it could be really healthy for our kids. So I love that. That's great. So moving on, what is your forecast of the market? And I get this question all the time. And I always say, if I knew I'd make a whole lot more money than I do. What do you say when people ask you what the forecast of the market is? Actually, the exact same thing. We tell everyone we don't have a crystal ball. Uh, no one does if they claim they do. They're not telling the truth. Right. But we can still look ahead and see trends that are occurring uh, sure. in the market and the economy. And so I think just to kind of give your audience a general idea of what we're looking at, I don't think we can talk about a market forecast if, without mentioning the election, because that, of course, has implications for the stock market, the economy, mm -hmm. taxes. And so what we're looking at right now uh, as it stands today, it looks like we'll have uh, most likely a Republican-controlled Senate and a Democratic-controlled House, which means we'll have a divided Congress. And when we look back at history, we look back at a period between 1945 to 2019, about 75 years, a divided Congress uh, has meant that for the S&P 500, which is the 500 largest companies in the U.S. stock market, uh, it has provided a double digit return in that type of environment on average. And of course, you know, we always have to say that past performance doesn't predict future results, but it is one data point that we have to go on. And in fact, when you're looking back at history, a divided Congress has seen higher returns occur in the S&P than a unified Congress environment. Um, so I think that's one data point that we can reference as we're looking forward. Um, I think another data point that's very relevant right now is that we've had very positive news from President Trump's uh, Operation Warp Speed, where we have both the Pfizer and the Moderna vaccines that have released great results with very high efficacy rates. I think there's still a lot to be seen and how that plays out and if it can be distributed widely and if as you're giving that vaccine to more people, because I think it was a rather smaller trial that was going on, we still have to be seen if that works and uh, if it's going to be distributed quickly. So there's there's still some unknowns, but I think as we're looking forward, those are a couple of data points that we can reference. Uh, I don't wanna paint a falsely rosy picture, but I do think we're cautiously optimistic 
about what the next 12 months can look like. That's great. And what I would say from the real estate perspective, you know, the low interest rates has definitely given buyers incentives to get out there and buy. And then, you know, the lack of inventory, because we've been in a seller's market for a while, but the lack of inventory then only kind of got worse because COVID, less people wanted to be selling. They weren't sure, is it a good time? Do I want people in my home during COVID? So we had even more of a lack of inventory, but then we had more buyers buying because the, the low interest rates has created home values to soar. I mean, upward dramatically, multiple offers, 90% of the time, homes selling for over appraised value uh, quite often, you know, all of these things. So, I mean, it's definitely still a very vibrant market that we're seeing in the real estate world, for sure. Um, we were curious to see how the election would, you know, play into that and what things would happen. Um, and then as we get into this, you know, our fall winter generally slows down from a perspective of how many homes are going on the market because people don't want to list during Thanksgiving and Christmas. Um, but we're seeing more and more people being willing to list um, because they want to buy and take advantage of the low interest rates and take advantage of the fact that there are multiple offers on a lot of homes and there isn't many homes to choose from. So kind of from our perspective too, not to, same as you, I don't want to paint a rosy picture that's not accurate, but there's a lot going on in the market that are really healthy, good things for the economy in our local area. I was going to add, I think the triangles never had a problem with real estate. I mean, as I've been a home buyer throughout the years here, I, mean, I think we've always had a strong real estate market, which is, I think that's a great thing. We have people constantly moving here and I think that'll continue, unfortunately, in some ways to, to drive home prices up. I think we, we've seen a lot of that, especially I live in Raleigh, I'm in Wake County. And so we've seen a lot of that uh, in my area, but uh, I do think we have a very healthy real estate market. For sure. I 100% agree. Well, just to close out our time together, one last question. And this is the idea of timing the market. Um, mm -hmm. I hear people ask me about that all the time in real estate. What are your thoughts about that expression, timing the market? Sure. I think that's a great question because we get a lot of that from our clients as well. Uh, people think that it can be done and it's it really can. It's historically never been proven to work. And if we look back at the past 20 years, again, referencing the S&P 500, uh, someone who remained fully invested uh, over those 20 years in that index had about a 6% return. If that same investor, though, missed only the 10 best days in that time period, they saw their return drop to 2.4%. Wow. Then if they missed the best 20 days in that time frame, they had almost a 0% return. And as you keep going and you keep missing those best or high days, uh, that return eventually turns negative. And right. so we can just, again, reference history as a data point uh, to see that you're never going to get the timing perfect and you're never going to get the timing exactly right. And so I think it's important to realize that timing the market is not a long-term successful strategy. It's more important to come up with your financial plan, come up with the optimal portfolio to get you where you want to go. Let that be your benchmark of success. And instead of trying to get in on the right day, get out on the right day. That makes sense. So I think the big takeaways from today is talk with a financial planner, get an emergency fund started for those unexpected things that could come up with your heating and air 
your car, whatever that might be. And then definitely have a will in place to protect your family. Start talking about these things if you haven't, putting a budget together if you don't have one. And then start having these conversations in a healthy, calm manner with our kids. Um, and maybe buy some real estate is kind of what I took away from this. <laughs> what were your takeaways? <laughs> well, I think you're exactly right. I think starting with baby steps. I know if you don't have a financial plan first, getting your uh, emergency fund, like you said, in place, making sure you're tackling debt and then start investing for retirement. I think if you can do those things, you're setting yourself up for success. That's great. And you're with Adams Chetwood. And I put their website on the screen, but it's adamschetwood.com. If people want to get in touch with you or. That's right. We have our email address on there, phone number. Uh, you can also schedule through our website and we have a lot of helpful articles. So if people would like some more information, there's a great wealth of information on our website. That's great. So check out adamschetwood.com. Again, thank you, Michelle, for joining me. I know I learned a whole lot. I'm grateful for your time. And again, if you didn't get a chance to ask a question during our time, please send those in. We will get those answered for you. But thanks again, Michelle. And I'll look forward to seeing everyone next week. Sure. Thank you. All right. See you. Thank you for joining me today. And if you connected with something that was said, I hope you will share this with a friend, subscribe and leave a review. Thanks for sharing this journey with me at home where it all begins.